Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Taking you inside the Tasmanian tennis community. Welcome to Tassie Talk. Welcome to our very first episode of Tassie Talks, where each month we are going to be catching up with three very special guests involved in tennis right here in Tasmania. My name is Rick Fontaine, and we look forward to bringing you some fantastic stories beginning this month with our special guest, Max Byrne, who's just turned 90, still actively involved in tennis, as well as being the president of his local club. Well, in terms of tennis history and memorabilia and special items, Well, there is nothing better than the display that Dennis Tucker and his wife Liz have built over many, many years. Tucker's Tennis Museum. We'll catch up with Dennis and hear all about it. And we also catch up with the General Manager of Tennis Tasmania, Darren Sturgis, ahead of what's going to be a very busy summer, culminating, of course, in the Hobart International, but plenty happening on the local tennis scene as well. was uh, made a life member of Tennis Tasmania, thankfully, because it was thoroughly deserved back in 2017. He's just celebrated his 90th birthday and his contribution to tennis in Tasmania is enormous. I'm joined by Max Byrne. Max, lovely to see you again. Um, How are you doing? And happy Uh, 90th birthday. uh, Thank you, Rick. Very good. (laughs) You have been involved in tennis for for such a a long period of time and you you still love the game and have been actively involved in it uh, up until very recently today. But how did did tennis start, the early days? When and, and how did you get involved? Well, I guess my mother and father did play tennis. They weren't very good, but they did play and they dragged me along, so I seen tennis. Turn of fate, one of my friends, we used to play um, football in their back paddock. His father died, got killed in an accident, and the grandf- and his uncle looked after him, and uh, he took us to tennis, and that's how we got very involved with tennis. We used to go and play every weekend, and then we played at school at Footscray Tech. Uh, then I gave it away until... Um, I got to 19 and I thought, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to play tennis or football or cricket. And so we went to tennis. And so tennis has been my life virtually since mm. I was 19. Mm. You uh, obviously have been involved, well, up until very recently, still still coaching. How satisfying is it being a, a coach? We know what the, the satisfaction is as being a player, but developing yeah. kids, whether they want to look at it as a tennis career or to just learn the basic skills so they can have a, a decent hit. What joy does coaching give oh, well to you? That, that was the part that, that I enjoyed a, a lot, really, because I felt, you know, to teach people that they can... I was more in the line of uh, teaching them to play tennis so that if they ever went anywhere, they could make friends. And we always used to say, don't worry if you don't have to be a champion, but learn to play tennis so that if you ever go anywhere... You can meet people and enjoy the game as it was then, uh, where we played a lot of competitions, uh, mixed competition, all that. Home for you has been the the Riverside Tennis Club, uh, just on the outskirts of uh, 
the city of Launceston. It's a club that is still going today. What joy does it give you, you know, with that, with that club down there? It's very close to your home as well. Some of, some of the great memories and friendships that you've built over there over a well, long period of time. Well, Riverside's been a very successful club because it started off as a family affair and was sort of all done by voluntary work. They built the courts. Uh, four courts were virtually mainly built by voluntary work from players and had a small clubhouse to start with and then they rebuilt the clubhouse to a reasonable size. So it's sort of been part of our life. I, we came up from, I was working at Hobart, got transferred to Launceston and started uh, working here and uh, we were playing at Hart Street as it was the main centre then and Bill Craw asked me would I come and do some coaching at um, Riverside and I thought, oh, that'd be nice. So we sort of had a family fair. My daughters all played, my wife played, so it was a real family play. And it's been like that for 40, all the time I've been here, which was from 1969, and so we've sort of tried to keep it that way. I've been on the committee for all those years um, and president for the last four years. So, so at the age of, tender age of 90, you're still president still of the president tennis club. Of the club. Incredible. Yeah. Tennis has taken you to some uh, incredible places and, and you've achieved a lot as well. I'll get onto the playing side of it shortly, but I want to take you back. You've uh, been part of Australian junior teams that you, you've uh, been over to the United States with. I think we're going back here to probably the early 1980s, but I'd like you to explain this story to me, Max. Uh, Tennis Australia wanted a husband and wife team to uh, to head over to the States. So uh, you jumped at it. Uh, Val said yes, but then they threw a little curveball in there. Do you want to do you want to explain yeah. what the little catch was? Yeah, that was a bit interesting. We'd been invo- I'd been involved with the administration. I'd been on the some of the Australian conferences and that, and I got to know a lot of the people, and they said, oh. We wanted husband and wife to go because Johnson Wax had had this 12 and under scheme and the uh, best four, two boys and two girls, were got a trip to America. And the first time they took, or they actually took eight the first year and then they had it with one lady. Well, that was a lot of 12-year-olds to look after by one person. <laughs> so they said, we want a husband and wife to go. And I said, oh, that'd be lovely. We'd love to go. And... And uh, anyway, when we said yes, they said, oh, we, we can't afford to play Val's airfare. Well, I thought, oh, sorry, I can't afford to go then. That's, but anyway, in the end, my family all said, oh, you've got to go. You mightn't get another trip to America. And uh, so we paid Val's airfare for the first time. So Luckily, they wanted a husband and wife, but yet the, the catch was you, yeah, you, you had, had to, to pay, pay foot half the bill. Yeah, $2,000 in those days was a lot That's of money. An enormous yeah. amount of money. Obviously, a lot of juniors, some go on to form great careers, some, some don't, but who are maybe a, a couple of uh, the youngsters that y- you got to see from a, a very young age? Well, it was very good because we had a few Tasmanians in it as well with Genevieve Dwyer, Richard Fromberg, who I'd had a few, who'd come up to me from Hobart for a few lessons, and Richard, of course, has done well, and Todd Woodbridge was in the last group that we took. Uh, also, Brett Richardson, who was uh, quite a good player as well. And obviously we've seen... Uh, well, I mean, we're talking under-12s here at under that time, Under-12 at that yeah. stage, yeah. Wow. And we, our teams... Richard did very well in uh, America, but, you know, it was tough tennis. The, the 12-year-olds in America were very good. I mean, 
Agassi was one playing, uh, Sampras was playing. Uh, they were just coming up anyway then, so, you know, really top kids playing in those days. Is that a bit surreal when you're, you know, 15 years later when they're in the prime of their careers, in their, their mid to late 20s, to see them as a child develop into, you know, with Sampras and Agassi's case is obviously the, the best players in the world. And, of course, Todd with his incredible yeah. career that he had, and I think yeah. Richard... From a Tasmanian perspective, it must be a little bit surreal sometimes. He must yeah. make you proud as well. That you know, aren't you glad that you and Val got on that flight? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, that was uh, one of the best experiences. And you know, we had we were looked after so well in America, and yep. have made friends with people in America, and mm. still contact one of the one of the ladies that used to billet the people, the girl, and that over there. So. You know, we had some really lifelong friends, if you like. Tremendous. We touched on also your your playing career. You have won multiple ITF World Senior Championships. How special is that, that tennis can be a lifelong sport that allows you to not only travel the world, but compete against peers in tennis pretty much for your whole life? I mean, how well, special is that? And what are some of the special memories well, for you? Well, I guess the, the special memory was the very first uh, time that I played in the seniors. Like, I'd had a, a funny career of tennis because it sort of went in spasms. I played in Melbourne and then I got on shift work, couldn't play. Uh, then I came to Tasmania and uh, was able to play because I was only on call for work. That sort of blossomed then. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so it was a bit, of, and then to think that I'd played for Australia was really, and we walked out behind the Australian flag, and that was fantastic when we first played in America. Yeah, that was a thrill. So, and we, I played then from when I was in the sixties right up to eighty uh, seven or something. I played, yeah, when I was eighty seven. And, of course, the biggest thrill was we won the World Teams Championships in South Africa, which um, was usually won by America or Canada. Yes. So that was a real thrill for our, our team. We, didn't, we weren't expected to win and we didn't think we were going to win, but we did. Magnificent. Yeah, the game today, Max, at a, at a professional level, what do, you, what do you think of the sport now? Do you, you still enjoy watching it just as much? And I guess when you... you you look at the techniques of players that are obviously being developed from the coaches yeah. of today compared to the coaches of yesterday. How would you summarise tennis at the moment? Yeah, it's a massive development time. And, and I mean, just the racket. So it was interesting, I was talking to someone the other day, how with the rackets, they, they one, do their swing pattern, they do the balance of the racket. And I thought, gee, we used to just pick them up and play. We didn't worry about how it swung or what sort of... It was only natural gut that we used in those days and now they've got synthetics that are better than gut and uh, you know so that and the swing you know the way they hit the ball like we had a firm wrist all the way through now they uncock the wrist to get extra racket head speed it's a bit like squash try to get racket head speed and it's racket head speed the balls hit so much harder i had to laugh someone said to me one time in lonset and Oh, you'd have gone well against them, Max, wouldn't you? I said, oh, mate, if I got a point per game those days against some of these players, I'd be really happy. They're so, so good. Watching the, the um, Launceston International, the players that are, you know, down to the mm. 200s and 100s, and they play beautiful tennis, very good. Do you feel a little bit with tennis, uh, some, some commentary we see that the days of all-court tennis where you, you saw these tennis players, greats who... 
could perform on, on every surface and, and the serve, the volley has certainly, I guess the rackets have probably made it, you know, you've touched on it, made a huge difference, but have you felt that that's a part of the game that sadly has evaporated a little in, in many players? Yeah, I guess so. But the thing is, you know, the players are so fit these days compared to the old days, I'm sure, and they can, you know, get to the ball so much easier. So you've got to be a bit careful serving and volleying. It's got to because uh, they can, you know, move so quickly to the ball and have great returns, like Djokovic's return of serve is so good. Just finally, you, you've obviously seen over the decades so many great players. Have you got some favourites, some, some of the great players that you've seen in, in your long career of tennis? Yeah, well, I've only seen a little bit of Federer playing, but actually the first player that really impressed me was John McEnroe, um, I went to a, when they were playing an exhibition match at uh, Festival Hall in Melbourne and I thought, jeepers, this guy's really good. He had great touch. And so he was probably one of the first ones of the players that I'd seen. But we did have Lou Hode and uh, uh, Pancho Gonzalez playing in Hobart in those early days. And uh, one of the best times or interesting times I had was umpiring a lot of matches because no one, we didn't have an umpires association and those players would come down and, you know, we'd say, oh, Max will umpire. And I thought, oh, gee, this is good fun. It, a lot of happy times umpiring, really. Beautiful. Well, look, it's been great to to reflect on uh, your contribution to tennis that, that is still ongoing. I know you get phone calls to come and help out at local clubs from time to time and keeps your mind and your body active. And I've got to say, you you're looking remarkable at uh, the tender age of 90, Max. Lovely to catch up and reflect with you on uh, a life of great tennis memories. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Rick. It's certainly a great game that you can play from 5 to 90. Well, it is Tassie Talk with Rick Fontaine, and it's now time for Tucker's Tennis Talk. Dennis Tucker, well, I've known him and his wife, Liz, for most of my life, and the passion that uh, this man has for tennis well, that will uh, evolve over the next 10 minutes or so. You will see where that comes from. Hello, Dennis. Welcome. Hi, Rick. Great to have you with us. I know you're away from the Tassie winter, which is very smart because it's bucketing down with rain here at the moment. Um, and you're up north in Queensland. But I want to go back to, to tennis and, and the beginning. Where, where, did, where did your passion for this sport come from, Dennis? Well, I guess it evolved from my parents playing tennis and and they met each other playing tennis. And... Um, we had a um, an ancestor who was a uh, a carney who was a who was a great tennis player back in the Sir Norman Books days. Tennis was in our family blood, and of course, I met my wife Elizabeth at a mutual friend's tennis party. So it was through tennis I met my wife, as did my father met my mother through tennis. Magnificent, what a great story, and if you've did uh, your mother and father and yourself and Liz down the same path, and uh, and then obviously it, it's. Everything has evolved from there, and um, you tennis down here in in Tasmania. Uh, it, it became, it eventually became uh, your life in business for yourself and this, didn't it? Well, it did. I saw the opportunity. I saw indoor tennis developing in the states, and uh, such as my passion for tennis. Uh, about the time I really stopped playing football, and this was and I coached tennis at Sunny Hill, and we just. Kept developing the passion, developing the interest in the in, into the products and the memorabilia, and yeah, that's developed from there really. How did the community uh, get behind it as well? Because 
tennis was a, a, a sport that obviously we had so much success. Australia, it, it was a, an era where we had enormous success, which we might get to in, in a little while. But um, the Sunny Hill Tennis Centre, I mean, I, I've spent many a year up there playing, but it was a, a wonderful, I guess you'd call it a community, but you had the bubble, for instance, uh, as you touched on, indoor tennis. How, how did you find the support of the community? Well, uh, as you say, it took a passion of ours to, you know, coerce people, encourage them to play tennis, and it wasn't an easy job, Rick, because we you know, were on the phone all the time, and and we had our kids involved playing tennis. So it was a, it was a long, long drawn out battle, I can tell you, but and, and financially unrewarding, but uh, emotionally and um, it was very rewarding because our kids were involved in the sport the same same as we were, and they were with us. Developing the game, developing the, the passion, and developing the business all at the same time. You touched on that all your children have been involved in tennis, but through tennis and, and watching your children play, and yourself and Liz and, and business. And uh, what are what are some of your I guess most treasured memories through that period? Well, I, I guess one year we had all the children state teams, and Liz and I took state teams away, and uh, we did it as a family. And um, I guess that's the bottom line of it. But then the friendships we developed from tennis and um, we became involved in Tennis Australia boards and we developed great friendships around Australia from tennis people and personalities and, and even to this day we have uh, tennis friends visiting because of our museum that we have, we host some dinners in the museum and old tennis friends become part of that from all around Australia, we've had you know, Leslie and Bill Barry come down and stay with us and, um, and Scotty Draper you know, different tennis personalities. That's become you know, a, a wonderful memory for us. It's a great segue into uh, Tucker's Tennis Museum. As I said, there's been some uh, some wonderful evenings there, Dennis, over the years with uh, with the dinner parties. And well, you've, and you're, you've been the MC for many of them, so you've had some amazing people there, as you, as you touched on. You, you've had a lot of close friends and and a, and a lot of visitors. What's the overriding reaction? Because we'll, we'll get onto some of the exhibits shortly, but. It's an extraordinary collection. What, what impressions do people get when they, when they walk in? Well, they are amazed and, and quite, um, quite impressed. Uh, it's hard to imagine. And I think it's presented quite well. And there is a story to the, uh, there is a story to the display. So it makes it easy to show people the museum because there's a story attached to it all. You've got exhibits dating back to the origins of sports. When did you decide that you wanted to establish a, a tennis museum, or did it build up over years of, of collection of, uh, of, of, of items? Well, it did build up over a collection of years, obviously, but it started with, um, my interest was developed, Don, I saw Don Wigan had a wonderful cricket collection, and I saw the pleasure he got from it, and having the tennis centre, I, I, I was a bit of a collector anyway, so I, I thought I could, I could develop the, the memorabilia, at the tennis centre, and so that was only developing through tennis rackets and odd, not expensive items, but a lot of items. And then when I sold the centre, I wanted to keep it, so I redeveloped my home to house the museum. And um, you alluded to the fact that uh, we've got the, the major Walter Winkle actually invented the game of tennis, but we have his handwritten will, which is there, part of the collection. And so there's some quite interesting and uh, not always valuable items, but certainly of interest. 
So, Dennis, the sport itself, as you mentioned, you've got items dating back to the origins of tennis. I guess a, a question that many people would, would love to know is probably, how did the name tennis get derived? Well, it's a, it, I believe the, the French term tenez, T-N-E-Z, means are you ready? So if, when, you're, when you're serving or delivering the ball in, in royal tennis, one would say tenez, meaning are you ready? If you didn't say tenay, then the option you say, hey, start again, have do it again. So that's where the name tennis came from, and which, and I guess the other interesting fact is tennis scoring, like love, 15, 30, 40. Where does this come from? Well, once again, the, the love is a derivation of the French term the egg, which is love. And the egg, of course, is on the scoreboard is, is like a duck's egg. So, and you make a duck in cricket because it's a symbol zero on the scoreboard. And that's where the duck came from in cricket. And, and the French could say, love, mean the egg. And the English loosely translate to love. Then they got an old clock that wasn't working, put it beside the net and changed the hand from to 15 to 30, yes. 45, 40 is an abbreviation of uh, 45. And then juice, once again, is a derivation and uh, come together to same as. Two of a kind. And, and you can learn all about this, uh, obviously, at Tucker's Tennis Museum as well and, and look at all the, the, the amazing collections you've got. You know, you've got autographs, collectibles, books. I mean, an extraordinary array of, uh, of, of, of rackets as well. There's some great history involving a, a, a local Tasmanian uh, who, a bit unheralded and, and not that well known, but someone from, from just outside Launceston as well, I believe, Dennis. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that one, Rick, because it, it, it's really, really interesting. I guess we had some, some famous names come through the Launceston tennis community. Uh, you know, your, your Simon Yules and your Dave McPherson's and Helen Goulet's. But there was a Harold Lewis Barclay who won the Tasmanian Championships in 1915. Well, I have, have his trophy. He also won the singles and doubles that same year. He then went off overseas and um, played cricket against the MCC in India, became a, a scratch golfer in England, then played in the local tennis championships in England and then played in Wimbledon's, four Wimbledon's, and got the quarterfinals one year. Well, Harold Lewis Barclay had Aboriginal heritage, came from Beaconsfield and, and was probably our most uh, successful tennis player ever from Launceston. isn't it? People, uh, the general public, are, you're based in Launceston, you're in Tasmania, of course, but I believe the museum is open by, by invitation. If people uh, are interested, they can, they can uh, get in touch. And, and I think usually, correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, the entry is normally a bottle of red wine or something like that, Dennis. <laughs> well... As long as it's a good bottle. I encourage friends to come round. There's no entry fee, but it's nice to to come round and and have a look and bring a bottle of wine, by all means, but that's not not essential either. But it's just welcome to give me a ring and make an appointment and happy to show people through. And what about the future of Tucker's Tennis Museum? Have you thought sort of longer term what what, what your hopes and, and, and wishes are? Well, I had my hopes that the lawn system building a new tennis centre Yes. Uh, and Clubhouse might um, house the collection. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't show an enormous amount of interest in doing the, the collection. And so I've been a member of a tennis club in Melbourne for 60 years and I've 
I may well donate part of it to them. But the autograph collection, I hope my children might keep going. Um, that's containable and, and doesn't take large displays. Just see what happens. Well, it's an extraordinary collection. It's a testament to yours and, and Liz's passion over um, decades of, uh, of love of, of the sport. And it's something that uh, means that a lot of memories aren't lost and that people who have got a love of the sport and, and the next generation who, who want to know about the sport can come to one of the most extraordinary collections I've seen in, uh, in tennis. I think it'd be hard-pressed to beat anything. So, Dennis, we appreciate your time and um, thank you for your contribution and Liz to, to tennis in, in Tasmania in particular and we, uh, we wish you well. <laughs> thank you, Rick. Joined now on Tassie Talk with the General Manager of Tennis Tasmania, been in that role since 2017 and is also Tournament Director of the Hobart International. Terrific to catch up with Darren Sturgis. Darren, nice to uh, talk to you again. Hi Rick, uh, thanks for having me on. A lot happening in six years, uh, which we'll get to, but of course we've had COVID in the middle of that as well. Uh, it's been quite a journey. Uh, how do you reflect on, on, on six years? It's, uh, do you find it as well? Hard to believe where that time's gone? I can't believe how quick it's gone. Certainly it's been a, it's been a great adventure moving down to Tassie. I, I hadn't actually been down here at all. Um, we'd always intended to come down around the Taste Festival and check it out um, through some Tassie colleagues when I worked in WA and also in Melbourne just raving about it. So yeah, took the took the dive in and um, yeah, brought brought the whole family down and yeah, we love it down here. What's not what, what's not like what's not uh, good good about Tassie and living here? It's just a, a great place, really genuine people and um, have felt really welcome over those years. So putting into your title there, the Tournament Director of, of the Hobart International, it had a two-year hiatus, unfortunately, of course, uh, as, as it impacted the world with the uh, with the Hobart International with COVID. But the uh, Angie Cunningham Trophy in, in 2023, earlier this year, went to, to Lauren Davis, but it's been quite um, remarkable when you have a look at this event over the, the last few years. we from the year you came on board, of course, Elise Mertens won a couple of consecutive Hobart Internationals in 2017 and, and 18. Sophia Kennan in, in 2019, who, of course, has gone on to win the, the Australian Open. It, it can't be underestimated how important this tournament is to the players for that first Grand Slam of, of the year. It, it's a magnificent event. And, and, and tell us how you've enjoyed that role as, as the tournament director, as, as this event has now been you know, part of Tasmania, um, Tasmanian tennis and Tasmanian summer for the best part of uh, 20 years. Yeah, when I was lucky enough to, to get the role down here, it was something that was a, a real privilege to be able to take take that role, and it still is to to have that. Having come out of um, eight years working on the Australian Open and and seeing how uh, the the tournament operations and the whole tournament operates there, and being able to come down to to Tassie and know that this is such a um, it's an event that has such a rich reputation of breeding the next lot of upcoming talent and we've had so many great players come through here and you know we're coming up towards 30 years in, in a year or two's time given the COVID break as well of, of having having the event and it's something we're really proud that it's a standalone women's event it's the only one that leads into the to the Australian Open but provides those really great opportunities for players to, to get some experience when they come through and I think the way that we, we operate the event is a small event, it's it's somewhat boutique we don't have a huge amount of resources to really give it the bang that we'd like to but 
that also gives us an opportunity to be really creative about what we do with the event and where we take it. Um, and engaging our volunteer base is, is one of the, the key strengths because I know year after year the players just have such a warm regard for the Tasmanian hospitality and I think that's mm. the, the point of difference that we can really bring across and that's that's a testament to the volunteers that we have who make, make the players feel welcome as soon as they land at Hobart Airport, um, when they go out for dinner, when they go and experience, um, whether it's Bonnerong or, or some of the sites, they just get so warmly received. And it's a nice uh, preparation. It's a little bit of calm before the storm to, to when they get to Melbourne and they hit all the chaos of you know nearly 1,000 players up there fighting for practice courts and um, they get that little little chance to take breath um, <laughs> despite them competing pretty hard with the event here but yeah look we, we love the event it forces us to be creative we, we're always coming up with new ideas and, and with the return after COVID we could be more pleased and it, it, it re, really re-emphasised how important the event is amongst the community having our, our second best attendance of all time um, so it was really really strong to see that come back and, and see what it means to the to the people of Tasmania. Yeah, it's a fantastic result, and uh, and arguably, I think one of the other overriding things I hear from uh, from players I've spoken to down there over the years is there's probably not a better vantage spot or setting for a tennis court and a tennis centre uh, anywhere in the world. It is right up there, isn't it? Definitely got some of the best views in world tennis. I think Monte Carlo might be the other other event, mm. but that's the Northern Hemisphere version, and. Uh, we've, we've certainly got one of the best locations in, in the world, um, without a doubt. The, the views down the river um, and down to the city and got the Queen's Domain parklands nearby as well. It's just a, it's a great spot to be um, in January. Absolutely. Uh, whilst we're on the subject of international tournaments, uh, we, of course, had, uh, after the Australian Open, we had the Bernie Tennis International, but I'm just interested to touch on the Launceston International, Darren. Uh, obviously, the regional tennis centre there was open back in 2011 uh, when Sam Sosa came down for the official opening of that. The construction of the uh, community and event centre there, where is that? Because obviously the Launceston International was uh, was moved to Burnie. Burnie had a couple of weeks of uh, international tennis. But um, can you give us a bit of an update on where things are at with uh, with the facility? Yeah, it's, um, it, look, it, we're probably a victim of the circumstance of timing somewhat in in the fact that when the when the project was announced, we we worked really hard to to um, get some funding from all levels of government, which we were able to achieve. And when we we're about to to get started with the project, we had a delay on one of the funding partners. There was some um, delays there that were out of our control. We just had to wait for that process to go through. And then COVID hit us. And then um, post COVID, there's been quite a lot of, of rising costs. Um, and um, also some supply shortages as well that we've had to deal with. But look, we, we're really steadfast in terms of wanting to ensure that we get the best facility that we can um, for the people in northern Tasmania and working really closely with council up there who have been really great to work with and, and sharing the project management with us. Um, and we've got a few things we've just got to work through, but uh, I can assure the community we're working really hard. It's, it's probably something that we're looking at every single week and talking to different people about how we can get this project project through. So um, we're, we're committed to it. The region needs a facility there. We've got the court set. We just need the, the, the building yes. to support that as well. And unfortunately, with the with the 
uh, requirements that the professional tennis levels need, and we can't be complacent in Tassie. We've got to be mindful of that for Hobart International. The domain needs, needs certainly some work and upgrades, but um, without having a, a facility there, and we just can't we can't host an international level event there. So Bernie have been incredible, just um, opening up their doors and allowing two weeks of tennis in that region, uh, utilising their facility. We're very grateful for that opportunity because we want to make sure that these events stay in Tasmania for the long term. Um, they're really important to, to promoting tennis across all three regions of the state. Absolutely. Is there competition elsewhere in Australia where they think with the delays that are happening, is, is there a risk with the Launceston International potentially with maybe other areas around the country seeing it as, as an opportunity that they may be able to, to jump in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's, there's um, facilities all around the country that are continually getting upgraded. There's only a, there's only a certain amount of these licences to, to be able to host these events, and Tasmania certainly punches above its weight in terms of the number of pro events that we have. Um, I'm not sure New South Wales even have an event at this level, um, as in the Bernie and, and Launceston. So there are regions within New South Wales that I know are chasing these events, and we can't be complacent, we've got to keep pushing, so we're doing everything possible, working with all our stakeholders there, working closely with Tennis Australia to try and ensure that we can retain these events in Tasmania um, and ensure we have, have great opportunities for our, our participation base, our, our players, our junior players that are aspiring to a professional pathway um, or a college pathway. We, we want to show this world-class tennis and give those opportunities something um, something for our players locally to reach towards. Excellent. Turning our attention, I guess, locally and, and, and socially, certainly noticing the tennis courts uh, around my area, seem to be more people playing tennis. Is, is that a fair assumption? Darren, what, how are we seeing participation rates in, in the sport in Tasmania? Yeah, look, uh, it's a good timing, Rick, because we've, we're actually going through our annual report details at the moment and we've, we've had good, steady levels in terms of our traditional club membership, um, which is really, really good to hear, and that provides a, a great base for our clubs and venues to be able to, to perform. But um, over the last three years, we've seen steady increase into our uh, court hire bookings, so from our casual participant users, and also what that means is more additional revenue coming into our clubs. So um, as that's progressed as well, we've seen that um, through the different funding grants that we've, we've had, um, clubs are able to contribute more to these projects and there's been many, many court upgrades, lighting upgrades that are happening all around the state which is which is making tennis more accessible and one of the opportunities that came out of COVID was to really work hard with our, with our clubs and our venues and our councils, so the councils around the, the state to, to implement the technology to make booking, paying and accessing courts. Uh, more easily uh, accessible to everyone around around the state, and it's no surprise that just by doing that, and then backed off with with national and state marketing campaigns, trying to get out socially to to people who want to get some casual players, just connecting those together. So we're st we're seeing really strong uh, growth in those numbers as well, um, which is really pleasing for our clubs, but also the sport. Fantastic. Now I know uh, one of the highlights on the tennis calendar each year is the uh, Tennis Tasmania Awards Night, and, and we've uh, had the, the pleasure of having the great uh, Helen Goulet here last year. But this year, Darren, a name that many people will be familiar with who had a, a fantastic career, I think, I've got as high as around 24 or so in the world in his singles career, but um, hailing from the northwest coast, Richard Fromberg will be uh, the special guest. Must be exciting uh, for everyone. 
yeah, look, it's it's really great. We were able to to release that out to our clubs um, and our and our member bases as well last week. Um, but it, it's great to have Richard come back to to Tassie, a proud Northwest boy, and um, yeah, to have him down one of one of the best players that we've ever produced, a, a world ranking top of 24. Um, I believe he had around six titles on the, on tour as well, four of those being in singles and a couple in the doubles as well. Um, and look, at everyone I speak to about Richard is just that he's a, he's a really down-to-earth, humble, genuine person. So I think he epitomises what it, what it is to be Tasmanian. And um, we're really excited to have him down in September to our awards night. So many people as possible want to come along. They can come along to that event. And it's a great opportunity for us to bring all our clubs, all our coaches, um, all the different stakeholders in tennis together and actually celebrate the year that, that we've had. And, um, yeah, it's always great combining our annual general meeting. We do some club workshops um, and um, plenty of socialising as well to to say thank you to the tennis community for the for the work they've done over the year. Now, it'll be a great night. Uh, I Actually, I'm showing my age here, but I've caught up with Richard Fromberg of all places at the Dutch Open in 1994, Darren, when I was living over there. And uh, you're very, very true what you say, very humble, very down-to-earth uh, man and uh, who's very proud to be a Tasmanian. Of course, an era then where you didn't really have the big entourage travelling around to these uh, small tournaments in, in, in Europe. And it can be a very lonely sport. And uh, I know he he values, uh, values not only his country, but his home state. So uh, it's going to be a great night for everyone that gets the opportunity to... Uh, to see and, and hear Richard. I just want to finish off, Darren. There's some uh, pretty exciting stuff to look forward to in, in tennis, but also you've got a big senior event coming up, I believe. So it's our, our turn to host the Australian Seniors Championships. I think I think we're due to hold it in 21, but with all the pushback, right. it's come <laughs> yeah. through to, to 24. But um, look, it's really exciting to happen. There's a lot of work ahead of us because our mm. summer is is really packed. When with the Hobart International, it'll follow be followed by two weeks of the Australian Seniors Championships, which is a team's carnival, um, followed by an um, ITF, so an international level 1000 event um, mm. with with the seniors. And seniors is 30 and over, so anyone that wants to get a team together can um, nominate and. And, and come down to Hobart to play in that first week. Um, but we're expecting about a 1,000 people to come into yeah. Tasmania during that period, and, and, and they'll certainly pick up some other activities by flying in a bit earlier and flying out a bit later and exploring the state as well. Um, and the, the, all the divisions around the country are really excited about Tasmania being back. There's such fond memories from when we had it back in 2014. Um, and people have people have foregone some of the other events so that they can be be ready to come down to this one because they had such a good time last time. And like I said about the Hobart International, we're going to have the, the people of Tasmania are going to feel uh, make our visitors feel very welcome, and I'm sure they're going to have a great time. So yeah, it's a it's a big January up up and coming for us, and um, yeah, it's great to be able to host that event at around ten of our ten of our clubs around Southern Tasmania too. I better go and get on the practice courts, Darren, for the senior championships. Seeing I uh, fit that age bracket now, unfortunately, <laughs> maybe you and I could hook up for doubles. Yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> uh, look, uh, Darren, really appreciate your time. General Manager of Tennis Tasmania, the course tournament director of the Hobart International. Uh, big summer coming up. It's going to be exciting now that we're in the full swing of tennis once again, and a lot to look forward to. So, uh, no doubt, plenty more to talk about. So. 
Love to touch base with you again, but um, really appreciate you joining us on uh, Tassie Talk for our first episode. Thanks, Rick. It's Darren Sturgis, General Manager, Tennis Tasmania and Tournament Director of the Hobart International. Well, that is our very first episode of Tassie Talk. Great to have your company. Thank you to all of our guests in Max Byrne, Dennis Tucker and Darren Sturgis. And a reminder, if you have any guest ideas, Love to hear from you. If it be a player, a coach, or a volunteer, please get in touch with us here. If you have an idea, our email is thefirstservesen at gmail.com. But for now, until next month, this is Rick Fontaine. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.